Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Right Nowish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. I recently talked to a brother who is a longtime visual artist, a former pool shark, and a living example of the impact of the Great Migration. His name is Ira Watkins. He's a well-renowned artist who's been painting for decades. And since leaving the South and arriving in the Bay Area in the mid-1900s, Ira has been constantly contributing to the culture of this region. His work can be found on the walls in the Bayview, in a studio in the Hunters Point shipyard, and at the Tenderloin Museum. His paintings are filled with black faces with pronounced features, wide smiles, and rosy cheeks. And in just about every painting, there are these little details referring to historical facts or figures, almost like Easter eggs for those who are paying attention. One of his most famous paintings led to the creation of Ira Watkins Day in his hometown of Waco, Texas. It's a long, expansive mural depicting major historical events and local landmarks from the Waco area. A small version of it was the first thing that caught my attention when Right Nowish's Marisol Medina Cadena and I pulled up to his studio in Hunters Point. We talked about that image, as well as the importance of preserving history through art and the thriving culture of the Tenderloin back in the day. More from Ira Watkins after this. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. We're in your studio in the Hunters Point shipyard. As soon as I walked in, I felt like I was in a museum as well as like, it's familial, it's black faces, there's Harriet Tubman, there's Frederick Douglass, as well as people I could identify looking like community members or people from history books. And it's artistic, it's flavorful. There's so much to pull from. I'm like, there's stories behind every piece. And the first piece you introduced me to was this one up top. What's the story behind this uh, piece right here? I had did the uh, Martin Luther King Mirror Project in Waco, Texas, which they named a day after me for doing that project. Then Doreen Ravencross got in touch with me and asked me would I be interested in doing a mirror pertaining to South Waco. And I told her, yeah. She said, well, do me a design. So I got a book pertaining to the history of McLennan County, which is Waco is in, is the biggest city in McLennan County. Then from that, I got an idea that bridged 
is represent the oldest, uh, one of the oldest suspension bridges in the USA. It's a tourist attraction where they get to have events on it, no traffic, been on it for years. Over here on the left is, uh, in 1953, the tornado came through Waco and wiped it out, downtown section. This On this end over here represent the uh, tornado and the destruction and everything. It still tells an amazing story. There's a lot of history depicted in it, and the fact that it it's the blueprint for a larger piece that still stands today is really impressive. What is a day in the life like for you? This is my life right here. I come here every day. The lady that works in the office, she say, do you uh, paint every day? I say, yeah, I like to create. Some people just like to paint flowers. I don't knock them. That's their approach to art. Well, my approach to art is I try to tell the story with what I know about or read about or vision for me is to try to get it out there to give you a different opinion to history. You know, that's, a, that's all it is to me. I'm a self-taught artist, and I just do stuff and hope that it tells a story. Take that big picture, not the big one, the first picture up here. Mm -hmm. I had all kind of comments on that. The, the depiction is... Um... Well, the thing that pops out is on the left side, there's a big green book where it says his story. And the other one, it's an upside down King James Holy Bible. And in between the two books are well, the you words, see what it two said big lies. Yeah, two big lies right in the middle of it. Yeah. And, and then behind them are uh, a community of black folks. Even further beyond them, it looks like there's some people it's uh, when they, yeah. well, picking <clears throat> cotton. Where you see the, the field labor and all that stuff, the horse and mule and cotton and stuff like that. But then history, Columbus, they taught that shit in school. Columbus discovered America. Well, what about all the people said waving at his ass when he come ashore? You know, what about their history? All right. Then the Bible, King James Version, anytime you say version, you copy. And anytime you copy something, you're going to interpret something different. You were born in Waco, Texas, but you live here and you've been doing so for a while, a couple decades. So what brought you to San Francisco? I wrecked my mom's car and I didn't want to get my butt whooped. So I just took off. My oldest brother could get the car. And when he had it, all I had to do is find him because he hung at the pool hall and stuff like this here. Hey, man, let me use the car for a minute. All right, just don't go down this way. And one day, one of my oldest friends who's still alive today, he pulled, who you got in that car with you, man? Man, don't let him see. That started the race. <laughs> Next thing you know, we didn't run into no car. We bumped each other and went up and believe it or not, hit a house and knocked the house off the foundation. One block, no, two blocks up the street from where my parents lived. So when my father came down, you know, like spectators and everything, my father told me, he said, I don't know what kind of lie you're telling them, but I could look at them tire tracks and tell you was racing. I'll see you when you get home. <laughs> I kept going. I didn't go home. 
I wasn't able to stand that for, you know, uh, not that my father was no cruel person, but his word was law. So you picked the Bay Area because you had an uncle in Richmond? And my oldest brother lived in Los Angeles. I stayed in Los Angeles. My uncle came through. My uncle had one of those guys that had these government contracts all over the world. Got in the car, came to Richmond, California, got relatives over there. And my uncle told me, anywhere in the USA you want to go, i get you a one-way ticket. I came to San Francisco and I never regret it. And plus, it, during that time, I was a real good pool player. I shot pool good enough, I couldn't make no living where I'd be, have big time money, but I could keep the cheat off of me. I could eat and give me, see, when I came to San Francisco, you could get a room, man, cheap. I mean, real cheap. You can't do that no more. Hell, they want $100, $200 for a flea big now in San Francisco, you know. The Tenderloin District, when I came here, was lit up like Vegas and everything. All kind of neon lights and everything was down there, man. So would you consider yourself like a pool shark back in the day? I would say that. I used to hitchhike around a lot. And I just go to a place, I didn't carry no pool cue with me, but I go to a place where they had these little middle pool tables and stuff, just stand around and watch people. Oh, hell, I can beat him. <laughs> I could beat this one. You know, you let them win some, you win some. But the whole thing is, when you leave, you just want to have enough money to survive on, and then you come back tomorrow and beat two or three people to move on. You know, that's how that went, man. Uh, and Dog Patch here used to have a pool hall right there on Tennessee, and what was that, 22nd, I think it is. But it used to be a pool hall there. I used to go there every day and win some money, every day. You started to paint the picture of what San Francisco looked like when you first got here. And I wanted to kind of put it in context. You coming up here in the mid 50s, the uh, mid 1900s in general, was known for this massive influx of black mm. folks from the South coming up in what's deemed the Great Migration. And I'm wondering from your perspective, did you see San Francisco get blacker? See, when I came, if you was on Hayes and Fillmore and you're looking towards Gary, man, all you seeing was Cadillacs and Buicks and th black people. They, now, they had other races, but it was predominantly black people. The, they had a hotel called the Booger T. Washington. This place here was about nine stories high. It was owned by a black dude out of New Orleans called Red Duvernay. All I could say, San Francisco back during that time was thriving. They had a theater on Market Street. See, Market used to have about four or five theaters on it. They had one called the Embassy. Everybody, in and everyone that was down and out of anything, that's where you could meet them at, at the Embassy. All you had to go in and get your $1 for a ticket. I think it opened at 9.30 to 11 o'clock at night. See, they had frosted restaurants all over San Francisco. These restaurants, you could go and sit in, and get you a cup of coffee and get you a newspaper and sit there and just pretend that you're drinking your coffee or whatever, because some more people that you know, this industry, 
they're going to come in and sit somewhere around here, have a few minutes conversation, and boom. When you really look at the reality part, it was hell. But on the other hand, it was cool. I done been uh, most of the states in the U USA, and this is the best city that I've been to in San Francisco. Let me say, Los Angeles is all right, but it ain't, can't compare to San Francisco. I love the way you talked about personal survival as well as community survival, and also how you eventually gravitated toward the arts. You got your start making art at this place called Hospitality House? It was later on in life when I got to the park where I started. Uh, I got involved in house painting with one of my relatives, and that is how I learned the five basic colors of paint. And through that, over the years, I guess, developed from that. And then when I went to the Central City Hospitality House, a uh, friend of mine had told me, say, you always talk about how good you can draw and paint. I know this place, man, if you can draw, they'll give you all the supplies and sell your paintings if it's worth anything. I couldn't believe that shit. And I had passed by this place hundreds of times and never even thought about going on the inside. And I stepped through the door, and the guy said, uh, can I help you? I said, yeah, I want to see about uh, joining an art program here. Can you paint? I said, yeah. Can you give me a demonstration? And I started going. After about a month, they asked me would I be interested in volunteering. I stayed there, volunteered for about five years in that program. I never got involved in, uh, you know, welfare and stuff like that. I never had anything to do with them until I got to the hospitality house, and they made it possible for me to get food stamps or check and all of this stuff. So that's how come I stayed there volunteering for five years, but at the same time, I had kind of got away from hustling the pool and the streets and things for the simple reason. I, you know, I would, not every day, but I sell a picture, $150, $200. Well, that was cool to me, because hell, I had never been selling none. I, you wanted something painted, I'd paint you a picture if you gave me something cool, if you didn't. You know, you guess my friend I was doing something for. Mm -hmm. So then uh, my work started selling. Then a little bit more. Then the next thing, I start getting interviews. I just all kind of things start happening for me, and I just like today. I just tell everybody, thanks to this little bit of brush, man, I had all kind of doors and opportunity to open for me. Yeah, you currently live on Third Street in the George Davis Senior Center. Yep. What's that like? It's great for the simple reason. I got a roof over my head. I got an apartment that I can afford. You know, like, I shoot pool, because I got a pool table there. I play domino, but it's been maybe about a month since I went and did that, because, you know, you just get burned out hearing their story. I don't want to sit around and be around 
I'm 82. I don't want them to hang around no 82-year-old people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but what? <laughs> what are we going to talk about? Are you going to hear? I hear enough of them. They talk about doctors. Hell, I don't want to hear about your sickness. <laughs> no, I guess tell you like it is. Do you ever teach art to them? I started the art class there and, and for about three years, and then uh, I guess moved on. I'm involved enough with my personal art thing. That's the reason I stopped, because it made me be obligated on Tuesday to go and open up the studio, the art room there. I got enough on my plate, as my see, <laughs> for me to do. Uh, how many more years I'm going to be around here on the planet? And I want to enjoy the rest of my time for me. I love it. You're so <laughs> active. You're so focused. You know what you want to do. You know yeah, why you're yeah. here. And I'm like, I'm wondering, is there any advice that you can give to younger artists who want to walk a similar path and have a long, luxurious career as an artist? You got to be your own self. You can't be tripping off of what other people think of you. They always gonna have that negative view. Even people that, when I say negative view, people that you socialize with, that you consider your friend and everything, that you went to elementary school with and all of that, you're not gonna be tight with them all the time. Y'all gonna have friction, you know? So you have to stay focused on you, your first, before you can reach out to other people. Best thing I could tell young person, if you go get a job, that don't mean that you're gonna be uh, financially successful. That don't mean that you're gonna have all the shit that you want. But if you go get a job, if it's flipping hamburgers at McDonald's or Burger King or something like this here, the long run, you'll come out better than standing on that corner down there. But it's the older you get, the less energy that you have to do any damn thing. Well, when you get up to about 60, a whole lot of energy is gone, but the guy that's been flipping the hamburger can count on a social security check. You can't count on nobody because you didn't plot. It makes sense. Like it's What it boils all down to is investing in yourself. Yeah, investing in yourself and being aware of the benefits, the long-term benefits of what it looks like to invest in yourself consistently. A lifetime dedicated to art, shooting pool, and staying on the move. Ira Watkins, thank you. Thank you for sharing a bit of your story. For all my folks out there listening, Ira isn't online. He doesn't do the social media thing. But his work is readily on display at his space in the Hunters Point Shipyard Art Studios. And I'd add that there are so many other artists out there just like Ira, self-taught, doing their work to preserve history and making art every single day. So I ask that you stop by a local museum or attend an art show. Not only do the artists benefit from this, but you will as well.
This episode was hosted by me, Pendarvis Harshaw, and Marisol Medina Cadena. It was produced by Cherie Bishop. Chris Hambrick is our editor. Christopher Beale is our engineer. Additional support provided by Jen Chien, Katie Springer, Cesar Saldana, Or Dursun, and Holly Kern. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Happy Black History Month, y'all. Until next time, peace. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.